furniture, appliances, mattress, fam.news. What a great show today. We have a legend in the industry, Bob Hellyer, here to talk about another legend in the industry, his father, Walter Corky Hellyer, who just passed away on January the 13th. He was 89 years old, and we're going to hear all about him and his role in how he helped develop the entire mattress category. Starts right now. Kinsley Vegas Market's coming up right around the corner, and I'm really fired up because the fam's having another meetup. So if you're listening to this now, which you clearly are, uh, come and join Koala Fi and the fam at Vegas Market for drinks, music, fun, and the chance to win $1,000 in cash prizes. Woo, 1000 bucks, baby. It's all happening. You know what we're going to do? Let's make it happen at the Englander Showroom. So 4 p.m. Monday, January 30th. And C1596, that's the Englander showroom. Let's meet up. I'm pumped. Let's do it. And you know what? You're going to be going out to dinners. And before you get in that cab line, come have a little cocktail and enjoy a few minutes with some friends. When you're in Vegas for market, don't miss Ergo Motion's redesigned showroom. There's a brand new entrance and they're still in B1380. You know, they have an all new category expanding innovation lab. You got to see Yeah, and their Adjust to Amazing retail program is designed to drive consumer education and business at retail. Ergo Motion 1380, don't miss it. Yeah, that's B1380. I said don't miss it. Welcome to the Dos Marco Show with Mark Kinsley and Mark Quinn. The Galaxy's Greatest Mattress Podcast has liftoff in... Bob Hellyer, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Well, great to be here. And I just want to qualify on the front side. I'm too young to be a legend. So um, just a happy well, participant in, in your own mind. industry. Well, hold on. Let me <laughs> hold on a second. If, if I would have introduced Mark Quinn as a legend in the industry, I don't think he would have corrected me. Well, uh, you know, oh, I think you're right, Mark. And that, that kind of illustrates the difference. I mean, Quinn and I had the opportunity to work together for a long time. I just wish there were things he actually learned during that period. <laughs> well, you can both bite me. Let's start with that. Uh, certainly wouldn't own legendary status. Bob, you, on the other hand, you get it because you're just old. So that's yeah, how that thanks. works. But no. Uh, <laughs> no, Bob, it, it, it's, it is. You may not agree with that, but, you know, look, you've been around the industry for a long time. And we want to have you on the show because you have such a good wealth of knowledge it, to level set everyone. It's kind of funny. My very first job inside the industry was with Stearns and Foster 30 years ago. And so I was working with Stearns and Foster. And back then, Bob, we just had Stearns and Foster reps in Sealy reps. So it was different, right? They weren't combined forces yet. It wasn't even a mapped program at the time. And so I worked for a year in Jacksonville and then they were going to get rid of my position so somebody called Hellier and said, hey, will you have mercy on this kid? He's working out of Jacksonville, Florida. Will you take him on your team? And Hellier's like, yeah, whatever. I'll take him on my team. So he had me, Craig McAndrews, and Steve Stagner all on his team at one point. All of us graduated from Stephen F. Austin. And uh, anyway, we were all working for him at one point. But job, really, Bob, Bob Hellier actually saved my ass and saved my job. So thank you. You're Bob. quite welcome. If hindsight was hey, for, people for people who don't know, Bob, give us a little bit of your CV. You, you, I think some people know you from uh, president of Simmons, uh, different roles in the industry and leadership, but kind of give us that chronology. If yeah, you sure. Be happy to. And, you know, every private equity 
um, inquiry into the betting industry makes the same first observation, which is it's an incestuous industry, to which I always respond, yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm fourth generation in the betting industry. Um, there's a lot of families out there with the same kind of genealogy. I know that the Carmen family is four generations. Um, Earl was third, I believe. So the Cluffs had three generations and it just boom, boom, boom. It goes on and on on both sides of the fence from manufacturing and the supplies side. Um, you know, you look at the rights at right at Thomasville and um, the Culps and there's some deep roots in this industry and, and long, long friendships. So my, I guess my story, my first job out of college. So my dad was third generation. He took over Columbia betting company in Chicago, a family owned business. He was third generation. Um, in 1968, he was president of Columbia betting and he sold it in 1981. Um, kind of right at the end of the Sealy wars, but the Sealy wars took a lot of gas out of a lot of tanks in the industry. Um, so my dad sold the business uh, the year I graduated from college. And I always joke, had I known, I would have studied. So uh, I, went to, I went to work for Stearns and Foster out of college. And it was kind of interesting. The grandson of one of the founders, um, Foster Stearns, was on the board of directors. The president of Stearns at the time was a guy by the name, I believe, John Broderick. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years and then Ernie Williger bought Stearns and Foster and things changed uh, rapidly. And it was a, it was a heck of a ride. And it finally caught, and Mark alluded to it um, when John Beggs came to uh, Sealy Inc. as CEO, uh, we combined sales forces. We had to figure out a fit for the Stearns and Foster brand. I will say the majority, vast majority, of the Sealy executives in the company wanted to make it the promotional lead into Posturepedic because in their minds, Posturepedic was the greatest bet ever built. Um, but working with Gary Fazio and Dave McElwam, they allowed us to make it a luxury brand. And it ultimately became the first nationally distributed luxury brand in the industry. Uh, and then there was, you know, being faced with, do I want Sealy on my card? And I've always, always looked at Sealy as order takers. They never really sold anything. They just rode the strength of the brand. Uh, so I took an opportunity to jump over to Simmons and went to work for Tony Salatory in Janesville with young kids at home. The promise I'd be home most nights. And that lasted about six months and uh, started spending a lot of time on the road and ended up in down in Atlanta as uh, president of Simmons. And that's, that's my story. Well, Bob, we know that you've had some time at Spring Air, Kings Down. You've also uh, went back to SSB uh, for a stint there recently. So you've just got so much time in the industry. You and I are, have been very close friends for a long time. And I've learned so much from you and your knowledge about the categories is so vast. But a lot of that, Bob, comes from Corky, yep. and we, we want to talk about him today and remember him because he, he was connected to so many people in the industry. Can, can you tell us a little bit about him and, and you know, what, that, you know, what he taught you maybe about the industry, maybe just in general as you were coming up in business? Yeah, 
You know, when, when dad was in the business and he was chairman of ISPA in 1980, um, it was really, he, he was a founding member of ISPA, wasn't my, he, Bob? My great-grandfather was. Your great-grandfather, right, right. My great-grandfather right, was right. Zola Green here. I, I got, there's Zola Green on the cover of Betting Magazine and when he died in 1935. So the. Look at that handsome yeah, guy. Yeah, how about that? Um, but yeah, so multi-generational. But, you know, the lesson I learned from my dad, and I had a great opportunity of working for my dad and grandfather uh, when I was growing up in the factory. And um, it, his one lesson, his approach to life was always, you're never wrong doing the right thing. You know, pretty simple, but pretty profound at the same time. And when you look at his tenure in the industry before the Sealy franchise wars, that was really ignited by, by Ernie, who I had the opportunity to work for and loved to death. Um, it was, the industry was fraternal because it was dominated by licensing groups. The only privately owned nationally distributed line at the time were um, Stearns and Foster and Simmons. Um, and Stearns was really more regional than national. So it was really Simmons company. Everyone else, was spread around the country and had their regional geography to do business. So when you look at the, you know, Beecher Weitzers at Omaha Betting, um, these are people I grew up admiring, uh, close friends of my parents, and the Pattons at Serta Memphis, uh, Dallas Jurgen, Spring Air, Denver. I mean, the list goes on and on. Tom Wright at Wright at Thomasville. Uh, Roy Unger, who was er or Howard Haas's president of Sealy Inc., not Roy Unger, um, Dick Rowe, and then Roy Unger worked under Dick Rowe. I mean, just talk about legends of the industry. These these people actually shaped the industry, and it was incredible. But then the um, the Sealy Wars hit, and it, that kind of changed everything. We became a, a very competitive industry. And through consolidation and everything else, it really changed its character, but it's still... I think the greatest small industry in the world. I mean, I just love it to death. Bob, go there for a minute and talk about, talk about the Seedly Wars in relation to, to your dad, in relation to Corky. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any stories that uh, maybe kind of illustrate his philosophy on life? What are some of the stories you remember most about Oh, him? gosh. Yeah, I'll tell you a funny one first. So when you're a regional manufacturer, um, you – your life depends on a few significant accounts and the longest standing biggest account for Columbia betting was also Mar always Marshall field and company. And in the sixties um, and early seventies, the buyer at Marshall fields was a, a character by the name of Bert Kisselberg. And <clears throat> Bert bought a house in St. Charles, Illinois and invited all the suppliers out to the house for a Saturday picnic, bring your family. It's going to be great. So we piled in the station wagon and like everyone else at the time went out there and um, the kids had a great time playing, but uh, my dad and many others were met with a paintbrush and a paint can and Bert had them paint his house that day on that Saturday. Uh, just, I mean, that's the way business was done. Uh, just incredible. Painted his house, <laughs> yeah. huh? The, Come on the, over. Food and drinks. A little bit of hazing or what? Oh, just 
unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then, you know, you just look at Chicago, which was the focus of our business. And another classic and lesson I learned from dad is the buyer at Carson Perry Scott, I believe his name was Pat Walsh, um, really enjoyed his lunch hour. I mean, if you, you think of Mad Men and back in the day, what lunch hour on State Street in Chicago was always at Don Ross Blackhawk on Wabash, and it was extended. So the the mattress suppliers would try to see Pat before lunch and try to get something done. But Pat was all about lunch. And he had an assistant buyer who I just loved to death, Henry Hall. Um, and Henry was a big person. And he would often carry Pat back to the office after lunch and put him in his chair. And if you really wanted to get orders written, you took care of Henry and did it in the afternoon when Pat was having his afternoon nap. Uh, and that, so when, when you look at, at the time selling Carson Perry Scott was uh, Stearns and Foster, Sealy, Serta, and Columbia Bedding. Um, everyone else met with Pat in the morning. My dad always made a point of meeting with Henry in the afternoon, and we wrote more orders than anyone else. It was just classic. The good old days. Pat in the morning, Henry in the yeah. afternoon. That's the that's the sequence yeah, of absolutely. events. Absolutely, absolutely. But no, what, what were you? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, really the the driver behind uh, Columbia Betting and my dad's approach to the business, and it really goes back to his grandfather Zola Green, and it was always luxury private label betting. Um, if you if you look back to the early 1900s, the tagline for Columbia Betting was invest and rest. Um, they were selling better sleep through science in the early 1900s. Um, and it, it same today. So when dad's tenure working in different committees in ISPA, then the NABM and eventually becoming chairman and um, was getting in on the ground floor of the development of the Better Sleep Council. I think he would say that his contributions there was something that he was most proud of in the industry. Um, and uh, just the overall approach to the business that, you know, if you, if you deal in commodity, it's a race to the bottom. But if you build the best bed you know how to make, you can survive in this industry. And that was always the approach. Is that where you got your passion for product, Bob? Was Corky? Oh, no question about it. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, um, tried a lot of things. It was great because in Chicago, we had John M. Smith, um, Carson Perry Scott, Marshall Fields, at the time, Wilson Jump, Colby's, and uh, great partners <coughs> to try different things with. Um, and we did. I mean, when you look at Late 60s, early 70s, 15% of the betting industry was polyurethane foam. I mean, mostly because Sears owned Lifetime Foam, um, and Sears was doing a tremendous amount of their business in foam, and they were the biggest retailers in the country. Ernie ultimately bought Lifetime Foam. Um, but, you know, trying all those different things. So we, I mean... We were intertufting, eight-way hand tying. Uh, we got into foam. I'll never forget, Ike Fogel started Classic out in Maryland um, right at the beginning of the waterbed boom. And uh, Soma 
was the hottest waterbed out there, the water tubes. Um, so we felt like we needed representation in the waterbed business. And <clears throat> we put, showcased one on the eighth floor of Marshall Fields, right above the Walnut Room. And um, the president of Marshall Fields at the time, Andy, uh, his name escapes me, anyways, comes in, sees the waterbed, lays down on it, and it had leaked. And he was soaked from his backside to the back of his neck. He had to go change his clothes and everything else. So we did, we weren't in the waterbed business long. Um, <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we were always pushing the envelope and trying different things. I think the most intriguing inner spring unit that was ever developed uh, was the car unit, K-A-R-R, later uh, replicated by Howland Wire, which was a counterwinding coil. Um, so left turn, right turn, left turn, right turn, which took away lean. Uh, it was an open-ended coil, so it was in a helical, but there was no knot, which gave it surface conformability. Previous to that, the only one talking conformability was uh, the pocketed coil by Beautyrest. Um, and they, with the car interspring, they developed a um, spring-buying co-op. And a bunch of the different regional players um, started buying this coil, and ultimately it became Spring Air. Um, but I have pictures back in the day where Earl's uncle Stanley and my great grandfather Zola were buying coils together, uh, which is that's getting back there a little bit. Here, I, I even got a little picture. Here, here was the the original introduction of the car inner spring, if you can see that. But Oh, yeah. And back then you painted the units. I mean, the only thing that worked against you was noise. Every raw piece of wire in the industry eventually gets rust on it because there's moisture in the air. Um, so the car inner spring was painted and uh, baked. So it was oven tempered with paint. Never made a sound. It was phenomenal. What happened to that unit? It, I mean, Aerolips did it just... still using it? So. When my dad took over Columbia Bedding in 1968, his cousin, Gene Detmer, uh, moved out to California and took that unit with him and went to work for King Carpin. Uh, Gene was president of Heirloom Bedding uh, for King Carpin and basically took the Columbia Bedding specs out to Heirloom and started making the beds out there, and they still use it today. Um, I got a big kick a couple of years ago. Uh, Cleft Heirloom came out with the heirloom founders king carpins king carpins designer collection um anyone who knew king carpin knew that he was blind so it, kind of funny that he would have a designer collection as a blind person but uh gene Detmer was actually the one building all the beds hey, hey, bob you know corky lived a great long life he was 89 when he passed, and, and I know you were close to your father, what were some of the conversations you had with him about the industry today? How did he view the the evolution of where we are yeah. now? What was what was his view of of the industry and current state? He, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting when he gave his keynote address in New Orleans at the nineteen eighty one NABM convention, now ISPA. Um, he predicted 
incredible consolidation within the industry. Um, they, as, as an independent manufacturer, through the Sealy Wars, they were already feeling the pinch of large retailers having leverage for more co-op, for more selling subsidies, for boom, boom, boom. And um, he, at that point, said the future is vertical. Um, and that was in his keynote address in 1981 in New Orleans. And who knows? I mean, next couple months, we might see if that isn't the truth. Wink, wink, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's all about that. Um, it He was always adamant, unwavering when it came to quality. I mean, it, it was incredible, the synergy between the message that um, my dad had every day and what I learned from Tony Salatory, who passed in December, uh, who was the leader of Simmons Janesville. And that was, if you want job security, you produce a first quality product and deliver it on time and complete each and every day. It's, it's, it's such a simple formula, but it holds true today. I mean, when you look at significant shifts in market share in this industry, it is driven by quality and service. Um, it's always been a product-driven industry, so you have to assume the product's there. It's how you support that product. Um, and, and Tony and my dad always delivered the same message. And the other one that I thought was great. He, and what the industry's missing today is that connection with the plant and the hourly workers in the plant, because it was instilled in me and so many people of my generation that the people in the plant have bills. They have families to feed. At a minimum, they need 40 hours. The reality is they want 45 to 50 with a little overtime. Um, so when you're out on the road selling beds, the importance of making that last call or hanging around for that buyer who didn't have time for you that day, but you just wait them out to get in front of them, to write that extra 10, 20, 30 pieces is helping that person in the plant. And I, I think one of the big, big travesties in the world today is the loss of connection between the plants. I mean, I, I look back at um, starting with Stearns and Foster our best salesperson without question was the Lachlan plant. Nobody made a bed like Stearns and Foster. And you look at Sealy, their best salespeople were Brenham and Watertown. I mean, no question about it. And Simmons, Janesville. Um, so got to get that back. That connection between the plant, the customer, and leveraging quality and service is it's got to be regained it's a lost art how do you do that bob how do you get that connection rebuilt you put people back in the plants i mean i i used to love it we um ray rodenbeck who mark knows who ran the um the brenham plant after his father-in-law um if he had a complaint on service. Somebody called up and said, you missed two pieces or this cane damaged or boom, boom, boom. Rody would, would call that customer every day for a hundred days to check on that day's delivery. I just want to make sure you got everything on time and complete today. And it was at, to your satisfaction. And every day 
he'd make that phone call to that customer. And then sporadically, I mean, he had a relationship with every customer we sold. He would touch them all throughout the week. Um, but it's really simple stuff. It's fundamentals, basic blocking and tackling. The thing that kills, kills me today, I do a lot of shopping, um, mattress shopping, just because I love to. There are brands out there today where the RSAs don't know how to sell them. That, it, it blows my mind. I mean, that's the battleground. You win and lose at retail at the point of contact. And the people that are out there out-servicing the retail locations and out-teaching the retail sales associates and giving them the ammunition they need are the ones that are going to win. I mean, and it's, you know, it's just so paramount in anyone's approach to the game today. One of the things, it's always great to bring new blood into the industry, new perspective. I love outsiders. Um, I love outsiders who want to learn the industry before they start teaching the industry. Um, because there's so much time and energy spent on stuff today that isn't sold at retail. I did my consumer research and consumers love bubble wrapped memory foam. Well, you go to retail, every piece of foam is sold the same way. It doesn't matter how unique yours is, you know, um, it's, it's simple. It's simple stuff. We've just lost the art. If that makes sense. Time to get it yeah. back. Time to get it back. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Nothing. Yeah, sometimes I think people get so overwhelmed with bells and whistles and new technology and this, that, and the other. They forget, like you said, the fundamentals of the business, which is it's still a relationship-driven business. And there have been plenty of people come into this industry and say, I'm sick of the backslapping and I'm sick of the good old boys, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well... Things are changing. There's no doubt about it. But something that's not changing is what you started out talking about, which is you know, deep roots in the industry and relationships matter and making sure you're showing up for people and doing those fundamentals. And I don't think anybody has done them as good as you. And, and clearly there's a legacy there and a history and we need to absorb more of that. And in, in terms of absorbing it, I think we got to do a part two. What do you think? Oh yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. And then what are we What are we going to talk about on part two? I, I have I, there, there's some ideas floating around. I have some thoughts. You know, I was talking to Bob, and um, you know, a lot of people don't know the stories, Kinsley, of the Sealy Wars. Like yeah. back in the day, that was vicious. Like <clears throat> it was like uh, mattress mafia running all over the country, and so that all kind of percolated up, and then there was a, 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 a flashpoint where things blew up, and early Woodle, Ernie Wooliger came in, and like it, it's a great story, and a lot of people don't know it because there's a lot of new people in the industry, so I thought we would go down memory lane in a second episode here and talk about those good old days and what happened with the Sealy Wars and how did sort of get consolidated into what it is today, and there's just a lot of really cool stuff that I think that people who value origin stories or history are going to love that hey, so we'll get into that at one. you're looking at one right now i i do not know the full story behind the sealy wars i've heard it mentioned throughout the years but it sounds like there were maltov cocktails being thrown 
maybe oh, yeah. literally and figuratively. So, Bob, you're coming back for part I am, two? and I, I, I'll preface it by saying no individual had more influence or impact on the betting industry than Ernie Williger. Agreed. Totally right. agree. And, I, and I, I came after him. I, I hated that I didn't get to meet him. But anyway, Bob, I just want to say thanks for always being such a good friend to me and to Mark and uh, for being a, you know, a, a guy in this industry who doesn't just perform inside of it, but has so much passion for the mattress category. There's very few people I know that uh, go as deep, uh, fourth generation, who really care about what we do and the job we have, which is to help people sleep better. So thank you for that. And I just want to say thank you to Corky. Um, I didn't get to meet him, but boy, uh, born in on September 6th in 1933, uh, lived until Friday the 13th of um, January 13th, uh, 89 years old, legend in the industry. We're so grateful that we had him and that he had the kind of influence on you that he did and that we all get to benefit from that. So thanks for coming on and sharing his story. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can bounce on it. Oh.